We're actually, I'd say, close to the middle of 2 Samuel, but we really are going to cover some detail. And, well, not next week because we won't, we won't be having class here next week. So people have told me, come back, you know, when you have class. Uh, laugh. <laughs> See, I'm going to see if you're listening. So I'll come back when I have class. But um, pump. Anyway. Boy, that went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. I'm here to entertain you. I can do this too, you know. Look at the birds. Anyway, there's just a few more things that we really have to wrap up in the, sec- in the book of 2 Samuel. The real key of which, of course, is the Davidic covenant. But I want to make sure that we, uh, we get to that point. So if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 1, we're just going to talk about the time now where David is now, again, where I mentioned last week, he's prospering, Israel's prospering, and he remembers the Ark of the Covenant, which is in somebody's house. From the days, remember when we talked about the Philistines having taken it, and God gave them uh, problems with mice and hemorrhoids? Yes, hemorrhoids, it's true. Uh, and they didn't want that anymore. So, and they didn't have preparation H, like I said in those days. So they brought the ark back. And it was sitting in, in a house. We'll get to that in a minute. But after all that David had been through, being called, being chosen, being anointed, all of his training, and by the way, he still has some training yet to go through. We'll see that. Being anointed to the kingship. Finally, all of it comes to fruition. And he's doing well. And Israel's doing well. He remembers the ark of the covenant. Now, what is the importance, that, just in really one sentence, what is the importance of the Ark of the Covenant? In one sentence. That's right. It is the dwelling place of God among His people. Now, we talked about, and I'm not going to get into it again, but I want you to understand the honor of God's dwelling among His people. And for us, it's even more of an honor because He doesn't just dwell with us, right? He dwells in us. So if you think, and I think, and this is my, I mean, this is not my opinion. I'm going to tell you the truth and the fact that, you know, if you and I think that we are not special, it's because we are told, we are made to believe through this world, through Satan, through his devices, that we are not special. And we have been downtrodden, we have been pushed, and we're going to push, be pushed even further, just like Israel has been convinced that she is not special, that she's destined for destruction. Not only is that a lie straight from the pit, but I want you to understand, I want you to understand how special you are how special you are. And do not think for a moment that it's, it's, some people think it's blasphemous to, to think that they're special and that you are holy and you are counted as righteousness, as righteous, and I am too. Because not, God is not just dwelling with us. He is in us. Do you realize what that means? That should send shivers down your spine. And if it does not, you better, you better get on your knees and, and ask God to show you how important that is. That's one of the reasons why the angels themselves who know God, they've seen God face to face, which you and I don't even have that capability yet, right? And they, they, they're in awe of this thing called salvation. And that's one of the reasons why Satan hates it so much, because God has taken, you know, God uses this mustard seed principle, where he takes the weakest and the basest of things and calls them wonderful, calls them his, calls them mighty, calls them the most precious thing to his heart. Other than his son, Jesus Christ, who is the most precious thing to God's heart? His children. His children? And who, which of those children? Because there's basically two sets. Which of those children? The Christians. You and I. Don't ever forget that. And if you do, it's to your own, I think, charge against you. To me, it's my own charge against me. Because then we will live in fear. 
we will live believing that we are nothing. Remember, I also made it clear that the gates of hell, we went through all of this last week, shall never prevail against who? That means that you and I need to have a spirit, especially now, more than ever, if you've never had this spirit, you have to understand the truth. And that spirit is you are not just to resist getting hurt by Satan and resist the demons. That's part of it. That's why you have the whole armor of God. But you and I have to be on the offensive. We are to conquer. And by whom? Who fought Israel's battles every time they won a battle? Did Israel do it? They bore the implements of war, didn't they? They bore the tactical capability. And they put the manpower into the fight. But who won the battle? Do you think it's any different for us? So I say again, and I say it almost every week now, don't I? Do not be... Say it louder. Don't even be afraid to say it. <laughs> oh, I, I'm too shy. I can't get up in front of somebody and say something. Yes, you can. It's a learned skill. And no one's taking that away from anybody. But you can do the things that God wants you to do. And I'm not saying everybody has to get up and teach anything. But you do have jobs. At least one. You do have at least one spiritual gift. And if you and I do not use them, do you think God's going to be pleased? He's going to say, well, maybe you're right. You know, you really were not that great. Mike, you really weren't so great. You know, you didn't know how to speak at one time. Or, yeah, I know why you were scared. Really? Is that an excuse? Remember how special you are. And it is not blasphemous. And it is not being high-minded. Because we are told, how special are we? Do not think more of you than you ought. It does not say, just be thankful if God will make you the proverbial doorkeeper in heaven. No, no, no. Your destiny is much, much greater than that. All right. So let's talk about God's dwelling place among his people. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 23. We're going to start going through this now. So if you'll read along with me. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bela of Judah, and that was actually Kiriath-Jerim. This was the area where the Ark of the Covenant now sits. If you remember back from 1 Samuel chapter 6, after the Ark was brought back, it was put back in, uh, in, the, in the house. So he remembered this. He sent 30,000 men to go get it. This was not just a small procession, was it? This was a big deal to David. His heart was in the right place, but we'll see the procedure he used was wrong because David still needed training, didn't he? And that's what I keep stressing about David as comparable to us. Don't forget, you and I are not typically given, unless there are certain circumstances, and that's between God and an individual, given the ability to do what we need to do the best way we need to do it right away, right? It's training. You have to train. We're in training. This life here is training. We're not just here to save souls. That is the main reason we are here to spread the gospel. Are we here to improve the world? No. That's social justice. That's those things you heard Pastor Nathan talk about it. We're here to, to be part of that, but that's not our job. Don't think of it that way. Your and my job is to spread the gospel, and in doing so, using the gifts that we have, and in doing so also by doing these things and working us in this world, in our lives, the way we live, through all with whom we have contact and so forth, we are in training. Well, David is still in training. David has a lot of training. He's got a little bit more to do. Let's go on from there. So they sought to bring the, the Ark of the Covenant of God up, which is called by the name, capital N, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. So there's no mistaking about what they're, what they're going to get here. 
They set the ark of God on, and listen to this now. And this all sounds great, doesn't it? Just listen. They set the ark of God, God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which is in that area that in Kiriath-Jerim, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart. So it all seems like it's on the up and up here. Right? We've got the right men in the right way doing this. And they were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and harps and lyres, tambourines, systems and cymbals. So you can see there's over 30,000 people. This brand new cart with animals that may have been specifically consecrated, I don't know, but, the, 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 but it's being drawn by animals, right? There's a great procession. They're bringing it up from this town, from this man's house, and they're going to bring it to where it, where it should be because now Jerusalem is becoming the capital of Israel, right? The city of David, which is the old fortress of the Jebusites, is now the city of David, and now they're bringing this whole thing. So you can see where this is headed, right? They're going to bring God in the midst of them to the place where God really has set his name. Sounds all good, doesn't it? But listen to this in verse 6 of chapter 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nekon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Now, was that irreverent? All he sought to do was to stabilize the ark so it wouldn't fall off. Interesting, interesting. So God's anger burned against him. Therefore, God struck him down and he died right there <coughs> beside the ark of the covenant. Can you imagine the shock? and an awe of all of these people. Can you imagine what they might be thinking of God? Right? What do you think of God when a Christian gets executed? Well, you and I may think a different thing, but what do other people think of that? Huh? What, what happens when a Christian gets murdered because they will not do anything but they will not renounce Christ? Huh? What happened? Did you see in that shooting, the Folger family and, and the other shooting and the, and the bus bombing in Israel? That older lady that was a Christian, she yeah. was there on a mission trip. You, matter of fact, you, you sent a, a link or something about it, right, too. What does that show? And not only that, a Christian gets killed in God's land, no less. People and think, what's the purpose? That's right. Well, you can probably imagine that they're asking the same question here. Because also, you know, let's not forget, they haven't had the Ark of the Covenant with them for a long time now. It's been a, it's been, it's been a while. So let's see what happened here. Verse 8, Then David... Now, you would think that even David would have an idea, right? Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. Perez in Hebrew meaning breach. So it's called the breach of Uzzah to that day, whatever that day was. Then David, so he was angry. And in verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, now David was afraid of the very God who anointed him king and said he would be behind him in all that he does. See the problem here? You see what emotions can do? You see what not fully understanding something can do? And I will challenge you as Christians. And when I say you, what do I always say? It means me too. The more we learn about God, the more we learn about this word, not only the better off are we going to be, the better equipped we're going to be to deal with God, to understand Him. It's not just also being ready to give, a hope, to give the answer to the hope lies within. You know, we all have attitude problems. How many of us have done things like, I'm mad, I'm not coming to church. That person treated me badly. Or I have attitudes. Or, or these things in my life are so bad, I'm not doing it anymore. Really? Hmm. 
Now, God forgives those things, but you see how much time we waste being self-pitying? You see how much time we waste, and I've done this too, being angry? Well, David is angry, and it seems like he's got cause to be, so we can't really blame him outright as being a, you know, a real uh, heathen about it. What Scripture is trying to show is to have us understand the right way to think about God. Right? What do I always say about Scripture? We need to understand Scripture to learn about God's mind, His heart, His character, and, not the least of which is in importance, His point of view. You and I cannot have the right worldview or the right God view or the right view of what a Christian is or what a pastor should be or what a teacher should be or what an elder should be or what anything, anything in the economy of God or this world. We can't truly understand anything unless we know God's heart, His mind, His character, and His point of view. Does it make sense? It does. So this is what we're seeking to do here. This is not just learning history. So you see. So David is angry. David was afraid of the Lord today and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He didn't even want to take the ark anymore now. Can you imagine his broken heart? Here he sent 30,000 men, did the right thing, all this flutes and music and playing. His heart is leaping for joy. And now all of a sudden, there's massive dejection and sadness in David's heart. God's going to fix that. But this is something yet David has to learn. Guess what? He's still in training, isn't he? So let's find out what happens here. Verse 10, he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Now listen to this. Instead, he took it aside to another house, right? <laughs> so here it was in Abinadab's house. Now he's bringing it back to Israel. Now, uh-oh, it's going to go in somebody else's house again. By the way, Abinadab and his family were very well blessed when the ark was with them, wasn't he? Wasn't they? They were. All right. God didn't kill them, and the ark was in their midst for a long time. Hmm. Matter of fact, he blessed them. So where's the problem with Uzzah trying to save the ark from falling? And he dies right there. Say again? He touched it. Right. So we can maybe assume that Abinadab and his family never touched the ark. But how did they get it into the house? You see, you know, if you know the answer, <laughs> but I want to build up to the point. Okay, obviously it had to be carried, but it couldn't be touched. Now listen. Verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord, did he kill him too? He blessed him and only him, his entire family, his entire household. When David decided to bring the ark of the covenant to Jerusalem, his first attempt failed and he again was, was angry at God. He didn't understand it. But see, if you want to turn here, I'll just read it. Numbers chapter 4 and verse 4. It seems that David really disregarded a fact that he really knew. He knew this, but he didn't either remember it or he didn't consider it. And out of his sheer joy for bringing the ark back, he forgot a very important thing, very important rule um, about transporting the ark. Of course, not touching it, but there's more to it than that. Numbers chapter 4 and verses 4 to 15. This is the work of the Koratites. Now remember that name. The Koratites. Anybody here the sons of Korah? Remember that name. In the tent of meeting, the care of the most holy thing. So what was the job of these Koratites? To take care of the holy things. Right? Would you say the Ark of the Covenant is a holy thing? Mm -hmm. It's the most holy of holy things, isn't it? Okay. When the camp is to move, Aaron, by the way, what's Aaron's claim to fame? He's the priesthood. The priesthood started, right? So you see the relationship here. 
the Levitical priesthood, Aaron, the Koratites, okay? Taking care of these holy things that relate to God in, well, there's no temple yet, but there will be. Um, but there was, all, there, was, there was the tent of meeting and so forth while they were, remember they had the portable tent while they were moving around in the wilderness? Okay. When the camp is to move, Aaron and his sons are to go in and take down the shielding curtain and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they are to, to, uh, to cover this with hides of sea cows, spread a cloth of solid blue over that, and put the poles in, pl poles in place. How is, now, you, you, this is what you were going to say. How was the ark of the covenant carried? Poles. And they were, they were Asherah, right? They were Asherah, they were a special cedar, I think it was, right? Was it cedar? It was, uh, Acacia. Acacia, acacia wood. wood. Acacia wood. And, and, and also, right, the, the chest itself was acacia wood lined with gold. Okay? But they had loops, two loops on either side, and the poles would have to go through the loops. They didn't touch the ark. And then two men on the front on each side, two men on the back on each side lifted up the ark. And by the way, they had to be strong men because, and you'll see that these men were specially uh, out of Aaron and, and the Koratites, the sons of Korah, and those folks, they were specially chosen, and the strongest and most fit among them were specially chosen out of that group to take care of the holy things of what is to become the temple. But you see, you see where it's all going here, right? They don't ever tell you how much it actually weighs, do they? No, they don't. But they were, it, I don't know really weighed all that much. Yeah, they give you the dimensions. It was hollow, and, and then it was, you know, the budding rod of Aaron. The, the, the stones of the Ten Commandments may have been kind of heavy, but Moses carried them down, so they probably weren't that heavy. So. But it was probably heavy enough because it had the golden cherubim on top. But you've got you to figure, four men, and also to keep walking with it because they walked a long distance, right? It gets, I think so, <laughs> yes. Imagine them trying to take it to the airport. I'm late, I'm late. I've got to get this thing over to Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It, it gets heavier as you go. All right, so, so and, and I'm going to go down further here uh, to verse uh, 15 of Numbers chapters 4. But you see that this is a very distinct process of how to pack and move the ark and all the implements because this was not back in the days of Numbers when they were still wandering around and they were taking all of these things with them. And they had to keep, when, they, when God told the camp to, to break camp and move, right? He told the people to break camp and move. It was a big process. This was not an easy thing to do, but they had time but they needed to do. And this was the exact procedure. So you see, God had laid out an exact procedure. Would you say that, that David knew this history and knew what this was all about? Yeah, because remember, he chose this man named Obed-Edom to put the, put the ark there. Why do you think he chose a specific man? We're going to get into that. So he started remembering something here. All right, we'll keep going. Verse 15 of chapter 4. After Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles, and when the camp is ready to move, the Koratites are to come to do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or... Is there any question about what God said? You think David might have remembered this, but he was so happy he forgot this little detail. But God didn't forget it. <laughs> The Koratites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. So we've just proved from Scripture why God did what he did. He made it clear. God's not whimsical, or not whimsical, he doesn't, he's not like the other capriciousness, I put it that way. He's not capricious like uh, all these other gods we talked about, who would kill people at the drop of a hat, or like Zeus and Persephone. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> I was editing that thing. I was I really butchered some names and things last week, so I need my, my friend John here and others to help me with names. So, 
Okay, so you see this. Okay, now I'm just going to read this to you. You can go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6. But I'm just going to read this to you. In 1 Chronicles 23, 28 to 31, just a couple of scriptures. I'm going to read this to you. Let's look at what David should have remembered and finally did remember about the instructions given in the writings in the book of Numbers, which we did, and concerning, and concerning the most important thing of, of Israel. We talked about the Koratites in the book of Numbers, but let's look at what uh, 1 Chronicles says, because we haven't gotten there in scripture yet, right? 1 Chronicles follows the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. But what's nice about the 1 and 2 Chronicles is they detail a lot of the things in 1 and 2 Samuel, because if you were here, you'll notice that even when we were studying the book of 1 Samuel, I've hearkened forward, if you will, to quotes from uh, 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles because Scripture always interprets itself. You just got to know where to look, so you have to know the story flow. Okay? But I'm just going to read this to you. So we talked about the Koratites and their relationship to Aaron. We talked about that they were the ones to do the carrying, and they were not supposed to touch it, so they had the two poles and so forth, and they were the ones to do all this. I'm going to read you this now from First uh, Chronicles 23, 28 through 31. The duty of the Levites was to help Aaron's descendants in the service of the temple of the Lord, to be in charge of the courtyards, the side rooms, the purification of all sacred things, and the performance of other duties at the house of God. They were in charge of the bread, the showbread, right? The bread set out on the table, the flour for the grain offerings, the unleavened wafers, the baking and the mixing and the measurements of the quality of the quantity and size. They were also to stand every morning to thank and praise God. They were pretty busy. Hmm. That's why these Levites didn't really grow anything. They were, they were, on, the, they were on the dole by everybody else. So they had to glean, every, not glean, but they had to be given provision by all of the other tribes because their job was to minister to the Lord as, a, as priests. And you see, they were very busy. They were also to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord. Okay, they were to do the same thing in the evening too. And whenever burnt offerings were presented to the Lord on the Sabbaths and at the new moon festivals and at the appointed feasts, they were to serve before the Lord regularly in the proper number and in the way prescribed for them. Do you know that there were up to 50,000 priests in the time when the temple was actually built? There were up to 50,000 Kohanim. By the way, they're training Kohanim right now for that third temple. And right now, I heard they have about 20,000 already in training. They have their robes ready. They have all of the implements ready. They built the menorah. It's, you can see it. It's, it's actually encased not too far from the Temple Mount now. They are ready, folks. They've, they've built, I know they built the harps to, and they built you know, the musical instruments. That's right. The laver, all of these things are ready. And when that third temple comes, they're going to think they're blessed. But we know better. It ain't going to be pretty. But they're ready. So when David remembered that only the Levites were to transport, and, and, and the, those associated with the Levitical priesthood were supposed to transport the ark, um, and he remembered the order of things, he actually made it clear that he was going to do, the, do it the right way the next time. He was scared. So he chooses Obed-Edom. I'm just going to listen. Just listen to this. In, in 1 Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 1, in, in, in First Chronicles at this point, remember David actually, does he ever actually build the temple for God, the first temple? We haven't gotten there yet, but if you know history, you know obviously that he didn't do it. God left it for his son Solomon to do because David was a bloody man. But what David did though, David knew that Solomon also did not have his understanding in, in the later years of David's reign, right? He knew a lot of things. And he knew God very well and he knew the order of things. He was, his training was pretty complete and he did a pretty good job as being king. Well, other things his life did, but, but he knew that he had to prepare. Remember, he prepared the, 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 the uh, materials and the plans, basically, for Solomon. 
He started doing that. And he also prepared how it was going to be serviced as well because he knew that Solomon would not have time to learn all of this and implement all of this, right? So he started doing the front-end work to prepare for the temple. And part of that was getting some things together. And one of those things, and this is where we're going here, were a division of these from the line of the priesthood. Because remember, who was only supposed to service the temple? The priesthood, the Levites. So one of the things he even had a plan for were the gatekeepers. All right? And so this is, where we, this is what it says here in 1 Chronicles 26 and verse 1. The division of the gatekeepers. That's what he, this, is, this is exactly planning for that. And it says here, I'm just going to read this to you. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it goes into all of these people. But from the Koratites. Now remember, the Koratites were that portion of descended from Korah. All right? So these are the sons of Korah, the Aaronic priesthood and all that stuff. Right? Um, as a matter of fact, it's referenced in numbers. And I have it in my notes here. One of the sons, and, and, uh, and they were related. I'm just going to put it this way. Ever hear, anybody hear of, the, of a person named Asaph? Asaph? Who's Asaph? You've heard of him, though. Yes. Okay, that's good. If you look at some of the Psalms, did David write all the Psalms? He did not. Some of them were written by Asaph, right? Okay. Well, it says here that Asaph was a musician in David's court. Basically, that's who he was. So these, the sons of Kor, one of the sons of Asaph, was supposed to be in, at the head of the charge of the gatekeepers. See how all of this is lining up? So David knew this, and by the time he actually started assigning people to, to get ready to build the temple and service it, he, he already did this. But So it, it goes down to some of these people who are going to be the gatekeepers, and guess who's one of them? In 1 Chronicles 26 and verse 4, Obed-Edom is one of those gatekeepers. So would you say that David knew that he had to let the ark go to somebody in the line of the Levitical priesthood through the sons of Korah? And so that's why he picked Obed-Edom. So we cannot say and give, give David the benefit of the doubt to plead total ignorance because when Uzzah was killed, he immediately chose Obed-Edom for this task. But now we see why. So David is not just that ignorant. So that's all in my notes. And then if you, when we wrap up 1 Chronicles 26 and verse 8, all these were the descendants of Obed-Adam. They and their sons, the gatekeepers, and their relatives were, listen to this, capable men with strength to do the work. The descendants of Obed-Adam, 62 in all. Does that make it plain? Scripture always interprets itself. Let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 12. So during the time that the ark was with Obed-Adam, he used to light a candle twice a day. This is how much he revered the ark, but it's okay because he's a priest, so he knows, or of the line, he knows all of this stuff. And he, he worshipped at the ark and did good favor to the ark while it was in his home, and he and his family were blessed, so we know that. All right, so in verse 12 of chapter 6 in 2 Samuel, now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. This is the second attempt. But can you imagine how, how honored and happy David is now because the first time it didn't work out so well. But now he knows his error. And now he's going to do it right. And God really gives him the second chance to do this. And he does it properly. Can you imagine the nth degree of rejoicing in his heart? But there's always, not always, but there's always a fly in the ointment, isn't there? So we're going to see this. 
So listen to this. In verse 13, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he, David, sacrificed, the, I mean, uh, uh, I think it was Obed, even though, Sacrifice, or he ordered, let's put it that way, sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. This is a joyous man. Has God ever done something for you when you were just so joyful you couldn't contain it? I've been there, and I'm not one to dance, trust me. You don't ever want to see that. So don't make me too joyous here. Don't make me too joyous here. Uh, so, but I've jumped around a little bit. You can't call it dancing. But I've been very happy, and I'm sure you have too. In your heart, anyway. In my heart, thank you very much, yes. In my heart, I can do anything. That's right. And even though God probably realizes, you know, Mike ain't such a good dancer, he probably still looks at me and says, you're, you're okay. You know, I'll accept it. <laughs> look, look from considering the source, right? God, he accepts us as we are. A dancer I will never be. But I will be joy, joy, joyful in front of the Lord. So David here, he's wearing a linen ephod. He's dancing for the Lord with all his might. While he and the entire house of Israel, I want to inject this, again tried and did, brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. So now you see the difference between the first attempt, God never changing. Does God ever change? He does not. But because of his love and his condescension to us with his love, he will not forego blatant acts of disrespect, which I think, like I said, David had to know what was going on here, but he was, he was so joyful he didn't respect what God, how God wanted him to do it. And that's where you and I have to be careful. Okay? We can't go off on a tangent just doing stuff, even, even though it may be for the Lord, because it could wind up hurting. And even though God is not, I don't believe that God, would, he was burned in anger, and he says he was angry, but David also got angry to, to God, at God too, right? Now, God doesn't take this all too, too seriously, but yet he does. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't take it as a permanent problem between him and you or me or David. But there's got to be this agreement that God says to do something and we do it the right way. As we know, just remember, we're always in training. And when training says, no, because when the push comes to shove, what do they say that police and firemen do? They go back to the training. Well, if you haven't been trained, you're going to probably burn in that fire. I'm not a fireman. If, if, if a loved one of mine is trapped in a burning building, I wouldn't know what to do. So even in that instance of terror, I wouldn't go back to the training because I wouldn't have any. You see what I'm saying? Now, David did it right because now he's trained and he went back to what he knew. Okay. Um, as the ark, so verse uh, 6, 16, As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, which was David's wife, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Ooh, why did she do that? That killed joy. She's jealous, right? She was, why would she, well, we say she's jealous, but I mean, look at what was happening here. The very dwelling place of God among, among his people is now being done right, being carried amidst, amidst the people who, of whom she's part, and she's jealous. And they brought, in verse 17, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowships, he blessed the people in the name of God. Then he gave a loaf of bread and, and cakes and so on. Okay? When, verse 20, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, like the afterglow of this wonderful thing, right? He's going home now to even bless his own household. This is a man who's happy, who's joyful. Michael, daughter Saul, came out to meet him and said, Oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Can you imagine that nasty smirk 
on her face. And she says, oh, how he's distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave girls of his servants as, as, as any vulgar fellow would. Do you think she was right? No, you know she wasn't right. But she should have held her tongue, shouldn't she? But she's got issues. But whose daughter is she? Ah, would you say Saul had issues? Saul really didn't worship God all that much, did he? And he got turned out at the end of it. And he was into superstition and spiriting, spiritists, uh, you know, uh, divining spirits and all that stuff. His daughter didn't fall far from that tree. And she was jealous. It's sort of like today. When Islam, when, when Islam they say, Allah Akbar. What are we told in the media that means? Allah Akbar. God is great, right? Their God is great. You know what it actually translates into? God is greater. Allah, not God, Allah is greater. Greater than whom? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have the audacity because obviously they're, they're Satan worshippers and, and I told you Allah is the moon God. That's why they have a moon on their, on their uh, the crescent, the crescent moon on their... Uh. So there's a lot to this. But Michael has problems here. And this is no trivial thing. But David says to her in verse 21, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house. When he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel, I will celebrate before the Lord. And furthermore, Michael, I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. The answer is, as you said, jealousy. And there's actually a better rendition of it in, in, in the message, but I'm not going to go through that right now. What I wanted to show you is, before, we're going to have to wrap up in, in a couple minutes here. I want to read this to you. I'll talk to them about being ashamed of God. When anybody is ashamed of God, even if it's me, ashamed of speaking about the name of Jesus Christ in the right way at the right time <laughs> to others, that is not just, well, it's my own personal preference. You know, there are people who say, well, I, you know, I choose not to share my religion. I mean, I, you, know, you and I know that that's not the case. It's not supposed to be, right? But why would I not want to witness about Jesus Christ? No matter what excuse I use, it's because I'm, at the end of the day, I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I want to be ill thought of, right? I don't want to be associated with him. That's really the bottom line. Okay, let me read this to you. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 26. This is Jesus speaking here. Then he said to all of them, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, so far so good. We understand all that, right? Verse 24. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever, whosoever loses his life for my sake or for me will save it. That's pretty good. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will say, that's okay, it's all right. Is that what it says? No, it says, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The sum of the matter is this, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5-6, through 6, and I'm reading this from the Amplified Version. For God sets himself against the proud, the insolence, the overbearing, the disdainful, the presumptuous, the boastful, and he opposes, frustrates, and defeats them, but gives grace and favor and blessing to the humble. 
Therefore, humble yourselves, demote, lower yourselves in your own estimation under the mighty hand of God that in due time he may exalt you. Are you ashamed of that? I know you're not, and I'm not either. I mean, that doesn't have to mean we have to just, you know, like stand on the street corner with signs because you have to do it in the right way. Remember, I said the value of, of, of spreading the gospel is in the relationship, right? When do we have to stop? 1040? 35. Okay, so we're, we're pretty much done here. Well, we didn't get to the covenant. <laughs> this is supposed to be the Bible study hour. Can you imagine if we could save these 15 minutes every week, how far ahead we'd be right now? Since I started in 2008. <laughs> but... There's a lot to it. So I hope you got value out of today. We will definitely, well, we won't be here next week, but uh, read uh, chapter 7 when you get a chance. That's the whole chapter about the Davidic covenant. And if it does not bring tears to your eyes, then maybe you should understand God a little better. All right? But do that, and then we will come back, and we will definitely be talking about that next time we get together. So have a wonderful two weeks, and enjoy. And remember, you are chosen. You are the priesthood. You realize that? Under the high priest, because who is our high priest? Jesus. You are special. And I'm not just saying it like a self-help group. Don't worry, you're all special. Yeah. I mean it. And you need to carry yourselves as such, as dignitaries, as ambassadors. But knowing that you and I are God's children, the only thing that has not done, been done yet is the adoption papers haven't fully been ratified. But you and I are accepted as his children when we were yet laying in our own blood, in our own disgusting filth. He cleaned us. Just like he said he, do, he will do for Israel again. Don't forget. We're going to talk about that, especially in this Davidic covenant, how important Israel is because she is still very special. And there are Christians who do not believe that. That's a very dangerous, dangerous state to be in when anybody thinks that we have replaced Israel. And you better be ready to defend it. You better be ready to defend Israel. Not only because we know what God said, that those who bless thee I will bless and those who curse thee I will do you think God's fooling around? God is love. And there is a broad spectrum to the subject of love, isn't there? We love to see the love, 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 give me, give me, give me, treat me nice, pet me on the head and say good boy and assure me a place in heaven. That's okay. But when God uses discipline, that's what I find is the honor in love. The honor in love. The honor in the, is in the struggle. The honor in love is when discipline is used to defend those who God loves. That means sometimes he's got to chastise those he loves because you've seen children who are not chastised. I have. <laughs> but you also have to see that those who are against you and I will be punished. Never be scared. Never be afraid. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. He's not fooling around. That's the other end of the spectrum of love, which I actually find at least is valuable because I understand him now more than ever, than just the, oh, I, God loves me, but he's going to give me something. He's going to give me something. Well, how about give him, give him something? And no, just give him something because you want something, which you're absolutely, I know what you mean. But give him something because of who he is. And because you love him. And, because you love him. and I'm telling you, this is, we'll wrap this up here. If you and I don't pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and stop this self-pity stuff, and stop finding reasons for, oh, I can't do this, and oh, I can't do that, and oh, my marriage stinks, and oh, my life stinks, and my job stinks, and I have no job, and God, give me, give me, give me, give me. You know, you could be going through something for your training. So stop whining. 
I did a lot of whining when I was going through my training, and I vowed I would never do it again. But I know God so much better because I came through what I came through. This is not a joke. It is not playing around. I can't make this any more plain to you. I've been through it. We have to be ready. Things are happening so fast now. If you and I are not ready, you're still going to heaven. But you may have some things and rewards that you and I will lose because we weren't ready and we didn't train and we didn't march in the army of God. And it's not just spreading the gospel. It's the major part. But part of that is showing by our lives. And sometimes we have to show through hardship and through persecution who we are. We have to show that we believe in God is at the one end of the spectrum as much as we believe in Him at the other end of the spectrum. And be ready to meet Him face to face when the secrets of God will be revealed, which we don't understand right now. That should be encouraging to you. You are the temple of God. Go forth. Train and be ready to fight because the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. And yet, who's going to fight that battle? But you must be ready to go out and strategize and stand. If you don't do that, then I don't know what to tell you. So have a great day. Have a great week. <laughs> go out there and fight that good battle.